0: Star Trek, Evil Dead, Dungeons & Dragons, Xena, Warrior Princess, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Superman, and more. Whether they started in TV, comics, movies, books, or games, these properties have all expanded far beyond their original media. The panelists you're about to hear, Marshilia Rockwell and Jeffrey Marriott, have written in all these fictional universes and many more. They'll share the pleasures, trials, and tribulations of the tie-in writing trade, along with tips on how you can do it too. Hey, everybody. Uh, Before we jump into the panel, I'd like to take a moment to make an announcement and say that Thing 12 Games is now sponsoring the Legends of Tabletop podcast. They join Birds of a Feather Coffee Company in bringing you some awesome entertainment for you to enjoy. Uh, Both companies offer a code LEGENDS10 that you can use at checkout. It'll get you 10% off your order. Uh, Thing 12 right now is featuring their new Dice of Pirates game. Uh, We'll be talking about that quite a bit on the podcast. I hope you'll take a minute to go over and check out our sponsors' websites and hopefully buy some coffee or purchase some games and uh, support the show. Thanks.
1: Okay, I guess it's one thirty-ish, so we will. uh, Oh, it's one twenty-nine. One twenty-nine.
2: Yeah, one whole minute.
1: We have a minute to kill before we have to get serious.
2: More people are
1: coming. Come on in.
2: You don't have to sit in the back. Don't be scared. No.
1: Can you get us from there? No, got Can the, hear us? Can your your machine hear us from there? It's right there. Oh, the that one. Okay. <laughs> I thought you had like a, a shotgun mic. Yeah. All right, little one. So cute. It's like we're it's the, politicians. The, the two
2: mics came together and had a baby mic.
1: Yeah, there you go. Okay. Now it's 1.30. It's 1.30. We shall begin.
2: My name is Marshila Rockwell. Um, This panel is on writing in big sandboxes, which is basically writing media tie-in fiction, which, if you don't know, um, is writing in other people's properties, um, which can be role-playing games, television shows, uh, movie novelizations, comic book characters, anything along those lines, where, basically, you don't own the characters. Somebody licenses the characters, and you get to take their characters in their sandbox and play in it for a while. And uh, Jeff and I have both written a lot of tie-in work, so that's what we're here to talk to you about today. And um, my tie-in credentials, I've written three Dungeons and Dragons books. Um, two of which are the only official tie-in novels to um, Dungeons & Dragons Online. Um, Together we've written some Xena novels. Um, We've done some X-Files fiction, some V-Wars fiction, um, Evil Dead 2 comics. Um, I wrote some Lady Justice uh, comic the Neil Gaiman Lady Justice comic novels, but unfortunately those are in licensing limbo, so I don't know if those will ever be published. Um, and Jeff's written like 600 uh, tie-in novels, so I'll let ya- him tell you about those.
1: That's a that's fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Alternative facts. I have not written 600 of anything yet, but uh, I've written a number of tie-in works. I'm Jeff Marriott. Um, I've worked in the book business as a bookseller, bookstore owner, um, in publishing. I've been a vice president of marketing for Wildstorm Productions and a senior editor for DC Comics and editor-in-chief for IDW Publishing. And in the in the tie-in world, um, I've written a lot of Buffy and Angel, Star Trek, CSI, NCIS New Orleans, and NCIS Los Angeles. Um, DC Universe, which is here. Um, Conan. Conan, Spider-Man, 30 Days of Night, um, in the...
2: Andromeda. Uh,
1: in the um, role-playing game world, Dungeons & Dragons, Dark Sun World, and um, and Deadlands. So, lots and lots of different properties, and I've also written and edited comics in some of those properties and some other properties. So I've kind of been around the tie-in thing from every different direction, writing them, editing them, selling them, marketing them. Um, The one that that Marcy didn't mention that we wrote together came out this past Tuesday on Halloween. It's the official prequel, authorized prequel to the video game Mafia 3 and we thought what a great event to launch it at. Here with, with all these people who love games and fiction and pop culture stuff and they haven't sent us any copies yet. <laughs> so we haven't seen it. We've, we tried to literally go to bookstores and buy it at full retails just so we could have it here to show. Nobody seems to have it yet. Someone on Reddit today said, I've got one, and I'm bringing it to the con. So we're still waiting to see that guy and his copy so we can see a copy of the book.
2: Yeah. It's not any of you, is it?
1: No. E.H. Sparky. That's all we're looking for E.H. Sparky from Reddit.
2: That's why I didn't mention it, because we don't have it to show you. So I'm very disappointed.
1: But Yeah, our brand-new book and this great convention and we don't have it. Yeah. It's frustrating. Do
2: you want to get next weekend?
1: We'll be at Tuscon next weekend.
2: Yeah,
1: driving for us.
2: No, that's right. yeah. So um, one of the questions we get asked most frequently is, how do you get into doing tie-in work? Um, and there's a lot of different paths for that. Uh, for me, there was an open call for fantasy um novels for Forgotten Realms. This was back in 2004, 2005. And I submitted a proposal for that, for the Maiden of Pain novel. And I did not get selected to write that novel, but they were looking for more than one writer. So they had a short list of writers that they then invited to do more um, proposals, and I submitted more p- proposals in the Forgotten Realm setting and didn't get selected for any of those either, um, but then they came out with this new setting called Eberron, and again I got uh, asked to submit a proposal, and I think by that point they were just tired of me, and so they said alright, give her a novel, we're tired of it hearing from her and uh, that turned into three books for me so that was pretty exciting. Um, I have a friend, Samantha Henderson, who one of the Forgotten Realms editors saw a short story she had written online um, not like on her blog or anything but it had been published on an e-zine and they really liked it and they contacted her and she wound up writing two Forgotten Realms books based on you know having had her work published by an online magazine so that was another potential route for being published in tie-in fiction of course jeff has lots of other routes that i'm sure he can tell us about
1: that's the the persistence route mine was not that way Um, i was working at wildstorm productions i was the vice president of marketing there and I also wrote some comics for them. And I had written some comics based on the superhero team Gen 13. It was back in the 90s. They were huge. And we made a Gen 13 animated feature. We made in-house um, using some top talent from animation. And we sold the domestic rights to Disney and the international rights to Paramount. And Ace Books decided they wanted to do novels to tie-in when the movie came out. So the first novel, they asked a friend of mine named Christopher Golden if he would write it, and he was interested in it. He had also written some Gen-13 comics, but he had a lot of other stuff on his plate, so he asked me to co-write it. So my first novel and first tie-in was a a collaboration on a Gen-13 novel. And then he introduced me to his Buffy editor, and I started writing some Buffy stuff, and and it all took off from there. And then Disney put the movie on the shelf and never released it domestically, and Paramount released it internationally. So there are, there are some bootleg DVDs going around, but uh, but it was never officially released in the U.S., which probably hurt the novel sales a little. Yeah, um, just a little, just a little but Disney's Disney sick and afford to spend a million dollars on a movie and then just put it aside and never do anything with it even though it's finished and in the can. What are you going to do? Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yes? Two
2: things that you brought up. One, you said a proposal. I'm not... Is it like a a, a sample writing? And then the other one is that you co-wrote so I'm hearing that you've got like all these writers and they're all trying to you know, write little bits and pieces. And how about making it smooth? You guys
1: can pick up each other's voice? I'll take that one first then. Okay. The, the, the collaboration was just me and Chris. It was just two of us. Okay. And this was back before email was really common. So we were we were mailing each other, FedExing each other floppy disks. Um, but we together mostly on the phone we developed a solid outline so that we both knew what the road map was for the book, where we were going with it what the, what the various scenes and chapters were going to be and then Chris would write a couple of chapters and then send it to me and I would go over what he'd written and kind of add my piece to it and then write a few more chapters and send it back to him and he would go over what I'd written. So together through that massaging one another's work, we kind of smooth out the voice so that it does read, we hope, like like one voice. Marcy and I also write together and we do the same thing. We'd like to start with a, a solid enough outline so we know where we're going and then both of us not only write our own part, but do a draft over the other person's part to, to smooth out that voice.
2: And as far as proposals go, um, you would probably typically write ten pages and then you would have an outline for what the rest of the novel would look like. Um, that's one of the ways that tie-in writing is different from just writing a book and trying to sell it. Um, you have to have an outline first because you get paid before you write the book. So you have to sell it based on your outline. So it's different from, you you might hear a lot of um, fiction writers talk about pantsing their way through a novel. Pantsing? Yeah.
1: Writing by the seat of your pants. It's called pantsing.
2: And by that they mean that they don't outline They just kind of sit down and let the words flow. Uh Well, you can't do that in tie-in writing because it's called tie-in writing. T-I-E dash I-N.
3: Tie-in. You
2: you can't do that in in media tie-in writing because you get paid based on your proposal.
1: Well, and not just the. I mean, the getting paid part is very important to us, but the licensor has to approve your outline before you start the novel right? Um, because if something conflicts with what what they're doing with the license or what what their perception of the of the property is then they're going to say no no you can't do that how about maybe you do this instead
0: Um,
2: it depends When I was writing the Eberron novels, there were other people writing Eberron novels at the same time. So we had to stick to our outlines pretty closely because otherwise we might step on another author's toes. Um, But if you're the only one writing in that property, you have a little bit more freedom to deviate. Uh, Not a lot. You know, you still have to follow the general outline, but, you know, because that's what they paid you. That was the idea but you do have a little more freedom if you're the only one or if you can you know talk to the other authors that was one of the things we did in Eberron was we created a bulletin board that was just for the Eberron authors and we kind of collaborated that way how we could use each other's characters and put little cameos in each of our books and do things like that but which was kind of fun until the editors put the kibosh on that. So they didn't want us doing that. I know. Well,
1: the other factor is, depending on the nature of the university you're writing, like if you're writing a TV show that's ongoing, then there might be things that they're going to do next season in the show so they don't want you to, to mess with that. So so you have to stick to the outline more closely in those cases. And if you're writing something that's already happened or it's a big enough world like a Dungeons and Dragons world where you can do all kinds of different stories and you're not necessarily messing with the three main characters, you have more freedom.
2: So is it outline something that you create? Yes. We do that. pretty much you're pitching um, your idea Mm -hmm. to the... The higher ups, the
3: people that are going to fund this. Right. If they, they say, hey, this is a good idea, we'll go with it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What kind of outline are you talking about? Talking the old Roman War I? No.
1: It's, is it more clustering outlines? It's it's more of a, it's just a, a prose, kind of a, a short version of what the story is going to be.
2: Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a narrative outline. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. More of
1: a synopsis. Okay.
2: Definitely. I, I think I was
0: very avid and I couldn't pick up the answer like, clearly enough, so
1: first thing is, um, it's like you said you're a co- you, you co-author, and I'm curious, like, like how would you, because like, two authors have two different, like, you, you will see the, the way the story goes in different ways, so how would you um, take your vision for the book and then merge it with
0: their vision for the book? Like, How would you make it so the character's attitudes are the same?
2: Right. You know, like Goals are the same. Um, that's where outlining really helps. Um, at least when Jeff and I work together, we hammer out all of our differences in the outline stage. Um, if we don't like where the outline is going, like if he has some ideas that I don't like, or I have some ideas that he don't like, he doesn't like. Excuse me. Then, um, you know, that's where we do our fighting. And you know, there's a lot of compromising. But Jeff and I write um, similarly enough that, um, you know, and we think similarly enough. We're married, by the way. So that um, so that helps Still. usually. Still, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, we we think along the same wavelengths when it comes to story ideas, and we build off each other's ideas, so it's a little bit easier for us, I think, to collaborate than it might be for two people who are just friends, or who, you know, maybe just got put together for... um, the project which happens sometimes sometimes you don't get a choice of who you have to work with to collaborate with and then I think it's harder to you know get over those differences
1: yeah there are definitely times that it doesn't work and you end up having to bail out of the project because because you just can't see eye to eye with that person and you're not going to ever ever get there Um, but really yeah it's it's about compromise and it's about trying to understand where the where the other person's coming from and ideally when collaborating the the end product is going to be something that neither one of you could have written by yourself because she has different life experience than I have and she'll bring that to the table and I'll bring my life experience to the table so we know different things we understand different things and so the book's going to end up being something that neither one of us could have written and when it when it works well it really works well
2: did you have i think it was you have a follow-up yeah that's a good okay. question um, oh, so did you guys have you guys ever
1: put in um proposals or uh write any of the star wars books before they're before they're canonized no okay. neither one of us have done star wars mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because they pay really well
3: <laughs>
1: yeah um I think it was you and then you? Okay. okay. You. Um, do you have
2: to be familiar with the entire body of work before you started turning into anything? It helps. It, I know with, with like some, uh, some properties, some
1: properties there's like a ton of stuff yes. out there. Yeah. Um, generally you have to try to know what is canon. So, if I'm writing, like this was an original series novel. So I haven't, I don't think I've seen every original series episode, but I've seen a lot of them, and I used to be the Star Trek editor for comic books, so I had tons and tons of reference material. Um, in a way, writing Star Trek for me is like writing in a foreign language because I have to look everything up and make sure that I'm getting the tech right you know I know the basic characters and the relationships of the characters but there's there's a lot of specifics in that universe that every Star Trek fan is going to know better than me so (laughs) I gotta I gotta look it up and make sure it's right um so yeah it it helps to be really familiar with the the property my Buffy editor used to say that she didn't want to hire people who were huge Buffy fans, because they often come into it with their own set of perceptions. You know, if a if a Buffy Spike shipper wants to write a Buffy Spike book, but the the show's going toward Buffy Angel, then then she doesn't want that person writing the book because that person can't let go of Buffy and Spike, and um, so. It helps to, to know the property, but maybe not be as emotionally involved in it as some people get.
2: The other um, aspect of that is, even if you're not a huge fan yourself, is taking advantage of fans. Um, when I wrote the books that tied into Dungeons & Dragons Online, um, I played the game, but I played solo. So there were areas of the game that I just wasn't high enough level to get into. So I reached out to the fan community and was able to get people to take screenshots of areas that I couldn't get into and, you know, dialogue and all kinds of things for me. So the fans were a huge help. The wikis that are out there, you know, they're they're a huge source of information. They were really helpful in writing the Xena books that we did together. So um, the fans are gonna be your biggest critics, but they're also they can also be, you know, a biggest your biggest source of help when you're writing tie in fiction. So
3: you kind of answered a question that's actually I was thinking when you were speaking about uh, collaborative work Japan, and I was thinking about the young man brought up is like if you have two people going two different ways, have you ever seen that? And you kind of answered that already. Have you ever seen that where two people are going two different ways. You get a up a whole new universe with two different perspectives True. and bring it back together. I mean, in other words, it's like uh, The French Lieutenant's Woman, which uh, as a movie was actually about the filming of The French Lieutenant's Woman and also what the actors were doing. It's almost like two realities.
1: Right, say, yeah.
3: And have you ever seen that where you had two writers, maybe you, you folks included, where you may have had like a sketch or an outline, but all of a sudden you started diverging. But the divergence actually gave...
2: I had an experience like that um, down at our table. I also write poetry, and this was an experiment that we did with about 20 different poets. Um, we each wrote um, a Simcane, which is a five-line poet and we would write one and then the next person would take the last line of the syncane and that would be the first line of theirs and then we'd pass it from poet to poet. And I think cool. I think each one of us wound up doing five verses, but it took like two or three years to get through everybody. And it went a lot of different places where, you know, we didn't originally think it was going to go. And there were some times where it got to points where I was like, I'm not sure I want my name on this thing. <laughs> um, but it, it circled around, and it actually it turned into a pretty good product, that's I really thought, cool. at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of one of those cases where I thought this collaboration is just turning into garbage. And then it wound up being a really nice product at the end. So...
0: So writing for a you know a tie-in like that presents some set of difficulties because the, the property owners want their characters to go in certain directions or consider certain storylines. Does it ever feel too restrictive when you're trying to then go ahead and tell a story?
1: Oh yeah. Um, I don't know how much detail we should go into. <laughs> we had some trouble with the Mafia Three people. Um,
2: Five rewrites.
1: the game is very cool and they're really good at writing games they don't get novels and a novel is a different thing than a game and for instance they don't understand metaphorical language or they take it literally so we actually got into it because the, the game is kind of a crime thriller set in an alternate 1968 New Orleans. And we thought, that sounds like fun. I totally want to do that. So we signed the contract and then we found out that the, what the game people wanted was a prequel to the game set in Vietnam. So all of a sudden we're writing a Vietnam War novel instead of a 1968 New Orleans crime novel.
2: Bait and switch. But, yeah.
1: but we signed on the dotted line and they wrote us a check. So here we are. So we decided to write the best Vietnam novel we can. But, um, for instance, there was a line where the main character's father said something about how his son was going to win the war all by himself. And their note was, no one can win a war all by himself. It's like, no, it's hyperbole. It's it's an exaggeration, but people understand that. No, they, no, they won't get it. Take that out. So there were some uh, some real frustrations there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was there was quite a bit of nitpicking.
2: There were lines that we put in verbatim that they gave us, and then they still wanted them rewritten, and so. You know, like you
1: told us to write.
2: It was a little frustrating. So.
1: But we still like. Like the book. Yeah. I I, still wrote I, the best Vietnam book we could write. Yes.
2: So mm-hmm. I'm still proud of it and I, I hope people like it and I hope I hope someday we actually get a copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going
1: to ask you too, I mean, that
0: kind of ties in, but which do you think is easier and which do you think is more fun?
3: Where tie in work or writing your own
2: stories? I like tie in fiction because the world is already created for you. So that takes a little bit of burden off of you. But at the same time, you are restricted by the fact that there are certain things you can't do. So you might have this really cool idea and then the licensor can say, no, you can't do that because we wanna do this, this and this, or they might not even give you a reason. They just say, no, you can't do that. So that, that part of it kind of sucks. Um, within original, Novel, especially a fantasy, you have to come up with everything yourself, which can can be fun. World building is fun, but it can also be tiresome. You know, so they both have advantages and disadvantages. The one definite advantage that tie-in fiction has over original fiction is that you get paid up front. So (laughs) that helps. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I prefer original fiction, but. I also want to make a living um, and when someone comes to you and says you know would you write a Conan novel Would you write a Spider-Man novel like yes <laughs> and you're gonna pay me too okay <laughs> getting, to, getting to play in these universes that you l- grow up loving um, and make some kind of a mark in it is just phenomenal I'd never heard this until yesterday, but a guy was looking at, I did three Age of Conan novels that were based on, um, they were releasing the Age of Conan MMORPG. And um, I never played the game, but I had grown up with Conan and I'd read all the Howard Conan and all the pastiche Conan. and, um, And so I wrote these three novels and he told me yesterday that he has played the game and that one of my characters from my novels became a quest in the game. And I never knew that until yesterday. But that's that's really cool. And getting to, you know, put my little footprint in the Hyborian world is just phenomenal to me.
0: Is there a, a property, and I think you probably already answered this in previous reaction, but is there a property that you would?
1: love to to take part in you
2: haven't been able to? Oh, yeah. Wonder Woman. I would die to write Wonder Woman. I'd kill somebody to write Wonder Woman. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: I would love to write Batman. I would love to write Doctor Strange, Daredevil. Um, Some classic shows I'd love to, to revamp. It takes a thief. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely stuff that I'd like to do. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do for a long time was Deadlands, and there was no Deadlands license for fiction. So I made it happen. I made a publishing deal happen with Tor Books, and they, they bought three books, and, and I got to write the middle one. So sometimes you have to like push um,
2: but you were in a unique position to make that happen. Yeah. Not a lot of tie in editors have the connections and experience that you have. Well, so. That is
1: true. But, but yeah, I was able to make that happen and write a cool Deadlands book, and that was fun. So. You said you've written some comic
3: books? Yes, sir.
1: Good, still, what is the best way to approach writing a comic book? I mean, um,
3: I do writing, I got a couple books, now, and it, it, they're different, they're not comic books, but I have an idea for sort of a graphic novel, and I work with an illustrator, and okay. uh, I, he's, he's a very good illustrator, what I do is I do the writing, the text, I, I do a lot of the lettering, I do all the pace of the layout, and that kind of stuff, okay. but he comes up with the illustrations that are just really good, and I'm just wondering, how do you direct... Your thoughts, I mean, writing a novel, it, it's got to be different than writing a comic book. I mean, because comic books, you have your, your, your balloons with the, the dialogue, your thought balloons, that kind of stuff. I want your little narrative descriptions and stuff. How do you approach writing something? You can go page by page, sort of? Uh...
1: Page by page. Um, always keeping in mind that you need to let the art tell as much of the story as possible. Keep yourself off the page as much as possible, um, and and it's a challenge moving from novels to comics because the comic or the novel is is all you. Anything that is on the page came out of here, yes. but a comic is automatically a collaboration unless you are a writer artist. Right. Um, so yeah, you know that you know that the yeah well me too that what the reader ends up seeing is going to be mostly the artist's work, and your work will almost be in the background to, to that reader. Um, but yeah, when I'm writing a comic, it's page one, panel one. This is what's happening. This is what the dialogue is. Um, as an editor, I've worked with a lot of different writers, and, and they all have their own style, and their own. there's no set format or anything. Um, I used to edit Alan Moore and he's notorious for turning in like 80-page script for a 22-page comic (laughs) and then sometimes 80-page script plus um, thumbnail sketches to show exactly what he means and you know in an Alan Moore comic if, if there's a fly on the wall in the background of a scene like way up there there's a fly Alan told the artist to put that fly right there he controls every element of it. For me, I'm more let the artist do what the artist does and let me do what I do. And,
3: you know. So you give him a sketch, kind of page by page, panel by panel, and you do have an outlet, and then, of course, where you want the story to end. Yeah. Like, okay,
1: yeah. okay.
3: All right. Actually, I'm, I'm trying to develop that, and as, as a writer, yeah, it's hard to kind of do that. Right in a sense try to write panel by panel because you want to see you know, what kind of continuity you've got to the very end, but I'll give that a shot.
1: Oh, and you have to also keep in mind things like if you're going to build to a reveal, some kind of suspenseful reveal, then you, you want the suspense to build to the last panel of the right-hand facing page and then turn the page that way and then that's where the reveal is, yeah. things like that. Okay. And what's going to be is a, a single page or a double page spread? and, You know, they have to fall in the right places. So, so you have to be counting pages as you're going. So it's a technically it's a different skill set than than novels. Thank you. Any more questions? We can tell tie-in horror stories. Mm-hmm. So for especially for like the ongoing properties, do you get any? rarely on on NCIS New Orleans I got a little bit because one character was leaving and another character was coming and they didn't want me to put in the character who was leaving but they also didn't want me to put in the character who was coming so I just had to pretend that it was like in between those events um, usually we don't have a lot of interaction with the licensors other than here's our outline yes it's okay or no it's not okay and here's why sometimes it's it's different I wrote a I wrote two novels based on the the TV series Las Vegas set in the Montecito Hotel and the first one the showrunner, Gary Scott-Thompson, actually had some phone calls with because at the end of one season of the show they blew up the Montecito. And then in the first episode of the new season it was supposed to be six months later, as if you could build a Las Vegas casino hotel in six months, but, uh, but six months later the brand new Montecito was finished and everybody was coming back in and going back to work. So Gary wanted me to tell the stories of what everybody was doing in those six months. So in that case, we had a lot of interaction, kind of plotting out their stories together and what they were up to. And then I wrote it and then some of those things that I wrote got mentioned in the next season, which was cool. But that kind of thing rarely happens in TV because you just don't have that. That one-on-one interaction with the people who make the show go
2: for me when i was writing um the dungeons and dragons online book they had decided that they were going to open a portal from eberron to the forgotten realms and i don't know if any of you play ddo but they did that a few years back and my book was supposed to hint at that. So I knew about it before almost anybody else did. And I was at a book signing with Bobby Salvatore and people were asking him that question that they, you know, because rumors get out. And he's like, no, that's never gonna happen. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not true, but uh, you know, I, chose not, to, not say to say anything because uh, it was under an NDA a non-disclosure agreement which you pretty much always have to sign when you're writing tie in fiction um,
1: did you tell Bobby like no the sign? no oh. I
2: didn't tell him I probably should have yeah. but I I kind of had the feeling that he the, the, he was so adamant about it that he had to know and wasn't very happy about it <laughs> so <laughs> it could be. Um, but I had to write my story and put spiders in it because it was forgotten realms and then I was afraid that people the way they were started to market my book I was afraid that they were going to people were going to think it was a Forgotten Realms book, where it never actually gets to the point where it crosses over to Forgotten Realms. So I had to go on message boards and say, this is not a Forgotten Realms book, please don't pick it up thinking that it is. And uh, because I knew that if they did, they would eviscerate me, because that's how, you know, loyal Forgotten Realms fans are. So, but yeah, I did, I was privy to that crossover before it happened which was kind of cool, except, you know, I can't really share it with anybody, so...
1: Uh, And I was privy to stuff in Dark Sun, because my book was the first novel of the Dark Sun, whatever, 4th edition relaunch. And as I was writing it, they were still kind of making it up, and so they would send me these big PDFs of all the new stuff that was going to be happening in the 4th edition, And then a few days would pass, and then I would get another PDF of all the stuff that was going in that was different and often contradictory to the stuff I got last week, because they changed their minds. So eventually it was my deadline, and they still hadn't finished figuring out what was going to be in the fourth edition. So I did what I should not have done. I turned the book in on time. But I said to my editor, look, I don't know what you're going to finally leave in this game and what you're not. So this is a very rough draft, first draft. And I usually turn in pretty much a finished product as my first draft. Um, in this case, I didn't because I just didn't know what the, what the answers were. So he said, okay, it's okay, We'll we'll take care of it, we'll figure it all out. In my contract there was a time allotted for them to provide notes and a time for me to respond to those notes with another draft. That time came and I hadn't heard any notes. And I went to my editor and I said, Hey, you know, what's going on? Have you guys made your mind up yet? What you know I gotta I gotta complete the book, I gotta do the finished draft. He says, We're not there yet, just don't worry about it yet. And he kept putting me off and putting me off. Until the day that he emailed me and said, So I ran out of time and I put the book in production. (laughs) So the book that is published is a book that I'm ashamed to have my name on because it's a rough first draft that I never would have turned in had I known, you know, anything about what was going to end up being in the game. Um, So. If you come down to tables A2 and A3 in Artist Alley, you'll note that that book is not there.
2: <laughs>
1: I have a lot of comp copies of it. I got a ton of them, but I'm not I'm not pushing them on people because it just that, I mentioned tie-in horror stories. We got a bunch of those, but that's one of the worst.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: Also, because you're here, if you come down to tables A2 and A3 after this, we'll be giving away this one for free. Free books. Always good. Um, so just come down and remind me that you were here, and you get a free book just for coming here. Did Wizards
0: on the Coast ever comment as far as whether they liked the book? Didn't like the book after sure it was printed, and was there
2: ever anything? You're assuming that anybody bothered to read it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, my editor said, as fine as it was. No, it wasn't, but you know, he doesn't work there anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and Wizards, <laughs> I never.
1: I never did anything else for them, I never will. Uh, even though he's not there anymore, it's just.
2: I had some horror stories with wizards too, but none of them were like that, and I actually enjoyed working with them and wouldn't mind working with them again. But so, do you hear that, Wizards of the Coast? <laughs>
1: <laughs> do, do you listen to the Legends of Tabletop podcast, Wizards of the Coast? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, so, I would think so.
1: Yeah, I'd If do.
0: not, they should.
1: Yes, we'll tell them.
2: <laughs> Go ahead. Are
3: you folks based here in town?
2: town? Uh, we're up in the Phoenix area. Phoenix
3: area. So. so. i recognize your face.
1: I've been here every year for almost every year. So this well,
3: no, not from the Comic-Con. Oh. I from i
1: Okay, here. yeah.
3: Yeah, we're... Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, we're...
2: We're usually here for uh, Tucson Festival of Books too, so.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, I used to live down in Douglas, outside of Douglas, and in Sierra Vista for a little bit. So Tucson was where I would come to go to the big city. Mm -hmm. Still love it here. Great city. So we like to do as much as we can down in Tucson because an excuse to come to Tucson. Yes.
2: We still have a few minutes.
1: A few minutes? Okay, I'll tell you another horror story. Because some of these are just so unbelievable that unless you've been in the business... I was hired to write a four-issue comic book adaptation of Terminator Salvation. And they wouldn't give me the ending. They gave me the script with the last part of the ending cut out of it because they didn't want it to escape onto the internet somehow. It was printed on red paper, because that doesn't photocopy well, and it had the name of my editor stamped on each page, so that if it did get out, they would know who to blame. And I wrote an outline of the first issue, how I was going to paste it out. And they approved it, and I wrote the script and they approved it, and I wrote the outline for the second issue, and a long time went by and they didn't get back to us, they didn't get back to us, and I said, you, you know, this deadline's coming up, we should really find out if I can write this or not, and my editor talked to them, and they decided that they were had somehow become afraid we were going to reveal the real ending that we didn't know, and write it and draw it and print it without their permission, even though they were seeing every page as it was done. And so they canceled it. So the first issue of a four issue adaptation was published and released, and then the other three issues could never come out. So movie studios are are notorious for stuff like that. I, no, I got a kill fee that was probably half of one issue. I edited a, um, a comic book adaptation of Arachnophobia, and my writer had to read the script in the Warner offices. Couldn't make copies, couldn't take it out with him. One reading, he, could, he was allowed to make notes and then he had to go home and write the entire adaptation but he didn't have the script to refer to he didn't have anything to refer to except just, just that one reading in the offices yeah. yeah he did a good job I think I don't I don't think I ever actually compared it to the movie frame by frame or anything because then I would have to sit through the movie again but so there's some there's some weird stuff that happens in the tie-in biz but Overall, it's a lot of fun, and we, you know, we like to play in those sandboxes.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, what's one of your favorite memories from doing of like, The the
0: bad stuff was like a really good stand
2: out thing. Well, getting to write the um, Lady Justice Neil Gaiman Lady Justice comic book adaptation books. It was a trilogy. That was really fun. I think they're some of the best work that I've ever done. Um, Unfortunately, they're in licensing limbo, and I don't know if they'll ever be published. I got paid, and I got paid a good amount for them, but, you know, to have my name on the cover with Neil Gaiman's would have been incredible, and I'm still hopeful that, you know, someday they will see print, but that was a pretty cool experience.
1: And I've, I've been able to go back stage at TV shows and hang out with the, like the cast of Buffy and um, Anthony Zyker from CSI and um, a lot of the people from CSI Miami I got to go on the set there and actually get filmed for access Hollywood giving them the copies of the comic um, I wrote a novelization of the movie Boogeyman and that was... It started out as a nightmare because I was working for several weeks and came across a character who I needed to see what the character looked like in the movie so I could describe him in the book. And I looked online and couldn't find any reference to that character. And so I asked my editor to ask Sony, you know, who's playing that character? And that tipped Sony off that they had given me the wrong script. So I was working away for weeks and weeks on the wrong script. So then I had to start over with the right script, but that didn't change my deadline. So that was initially a nightmare, but then because I saw different versions of the script, I was able to write a book that made more sense than the movie ultimately did and went into stuff that that was in the earlier script psychological stuff that kind of explained what the characters who the characters were and what they were doing and when the book came out the screenwriters got in touch with me and loved it liked it better than the finished movie and and we're still friends just from that from that one experience so there are definitely perks
2: the best thing I think though is the in writing community yes. um, that's how I met Jeff so yes. um, obviously that's a big perk <laughs> but um, it's it's a fairly small community and um, it's it's how we get a lot of our jobs is by you know knowing other people in the community um, and you know everybody's really friendly and they're great people and they're good friends and you know, it's it's really been a good experience for me, anyway. I'm getting to know a lot of people in the, in the tie-in community. And so even if I never write another tie-in book, I will be happy with my experiences. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the best thing that came out of it. No, thank you. No. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And that's 2.20. Okay.
1: And thank you guys for coming. Yes,
2: thank you very much. And don't, don't come downstairs. Your
1: tables a, A1 or A2 and A3. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.